Yo. Welcome to the Autumn Miles Show. Autumn is a best-selling author, popular speaker, and wife who is obsessed with her husband and four crazy kids. She is also the CEO of the Autumn Miles Ministry, as well as a lipstick and lash enthusiast. Autumn's vision is to speak to the culture with bold truth and challenge you to act in raw faith. Here's Autumn Miles. Hello, welcome to the Autumn Miles Show. It's your girl back with you again today. Man, I love you guys so much. We've got an awesome guest on uh, today I'm going to get to in just a second. But do you guys know that story in scripture where the father says to Jesus, Lord, I believe Help my unbelief. I believe, I do believe. 60% of me believes, but 40% of me don't believe. Help me, help me. We're going to be talking about doubt today and what do you do with doubt? And especially those of us that have been in the church for, you know, since the beginning of time, we doubt it's an absolute real thing. We're going to talk about that with my guest today. Love you guys so much. I want to tell you, we also podcast this bad boy. Okay. Now I love DFW. I love being on the air, but I also hear from you guys 24 seven. Okay. Not 24 seven, maybe, maybe, maybe 18, six, <laughs> but if we hear from you guys all the time, where can we get more, more content? I don't know how much content I can pump out of my body, you guys, but if you want content, you can go to the podcast um, and you can catch that. Where can they catch that Cassie? Um, Spotify, iTunes, you can go to the website. It's on there. Um, we roll out so much content, not just on the radio show. It is on my, uh, we, there's 2,500 videos on my Facebook fan page alone. I don't even know. I don't even know y'all. I saw that the other day and I almost cried. I was like, that is, is that, is that fake? You know, sometimes you don't realize is that fake. I know you guys uh, want, if you want more content, if you want to be encouraged by the word of God, bold truth, raw faith, that's what we do over here at the ministry. Um, you guys can uh, hit up the podcast or of course the Facebook fan page and um, subscribe to our podcast. Give me a five-star review, even if you think it's a one-star show. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Never mind. Um, okay, let's get to our guest today. Her name is Robin Dance, and she has written a book called For All Who Wonder. Now, before I introduce her, I want you to know that this book also comes with a study guide or, in fancy terms, journey guide, okay? So as you read the book, you can follow along in your uh, journey guide and kind of go a little bit deeper, which I actually love. Because I think sometimes we read things and we forget what they even say. So um, I want to welcome uh, to the show my guest, Robin Dance Day. Hi, Robin. How are you doing? I am fantastic. And you have me rolling over here just listening to the intro. <laughs> Thank you for bringing me on all the way from middle Georgia. Georgia. I love Georgia. It's just so, Georgia. Where do you, do you live in Atlanta? Where do you live in Georgia? I live about an hour south of Atlanta. An in hour Macon, Georgia. So in the deep yeah. south. You're in the deep south. Heading that direction. Absolutely. You come here, you're, you're going to get sweet tea and fried green tomatoes. I live about, I do live about half an hour from where fried green tomatoes was filmed. So what? <laughs> at the Whistle Stop Cafe. Isn't that amazing? You come here, I will take you that spot. Oh my, okay. I'm on a plane. I'm on the next plane to Macon, Georgia. Listen, the food in the deep South is out of control. Good. Why, why is it so good? Can you answer me that question? We understand the delicacy of frying anything and everything. 
Praise the Lord. I think you could fry a tire and it would taste good. (laughs) Hey, listen, every time I go to the South, it's like, whether whether I'm working or whether for pleasure, whatever it is, I'm like, I don't care what we do as long as we eat a lot. We like eat ourselves through the South because y'all just know how to do it down there, man. You just yeah, know. Great. You're making me hungry. And I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah, I, I can't be hungry right now. It's my, for, my grandma for was a of- Southern cook and I hate lima beans. I'm just telling you, I just think that they're just putrid. They're disgusting. But she was a Southern <laughs> cook. And I remember mm. her saying to me one time when I passed on the lima beans or butter beans. Don't you guys call them butter beans down there? You know, I think they're different things. Oh, really? They are. I feel like I'm going to lose my Southern card because I don't know that for sure. But there are so many different beans and peas. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> so good. So she. So I'm saying I don't want these. And she's like, well, you haven't had mine. And I'm like, all right, I'll try them. And I put them in my mouth. It was like heaven in my mouth. It was wonderful. Yay. I don't know what she Happy put ending. lard in there. I was there. a little worried about this story. It was, it was like, it was like majestic. It's like that's the, <laughs> that's what we're gonna eat at the lamb's supper up in heaven. You know. Anyway, sorry that this has nothing to do with your book, but I love the south. <laughs> I love the south. Okay, um, let's talk about this book for all who wonder. I love just sort of the concept of the book. You talk about um, uh, you talk about that statement that was made to Jesus. I believe, help my unbelief. I want you to kind of package this. Why did you write this book for all who wonder? You know, um, because I think it's a, a story that speaks to so many of us. When you are that person who is wandering, I think we're inclined to to be isolated, to, to not tell anyone, not talk about it, because we feel like we are a chief sinner. Mm-hmm. If you've grown up in the church, and I am a church girl, there, the, the book opens with my earliest memory in life, and I was married the mother of Jesus. <laughs> wow! That's the first thing I remember. <laughs> Isn't that, in that fun? <laughs> and I have, I have photographic evidence that what I say took place. I have, it was in the newspaper back then. <laughs> and so with one of the newspapers, they were so precious, we didn't have Instagram. Um, to mark a moment like that. But that's all I've known. I've always identified as a Christian, as a believer. You know, I've I've been raised in the buckle of the Bible Belt. And so it's as much a part of culture, the fabric of who we are in the South so often, as it was that I was raised inside the doors of the church. And so if you are that person and you get to a a place where you're really doubting God, whether he exists, it's lonely. Mm. And so the opportunity this, to write this book actually came to me through, um, I write for a site called Encourage with an I, mm-hmm. and we have a, a large reading community online, and it, 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 it was born out of the questions we were hearing in our community by our, our readers and people who follow us on social, um, and I was given the opportunity to tell my story. And so I felt like, wow, God was opening the door for me to get up up close and personal with a bunch of strangers who are just like me. Mm. So tell me a little bit about that story. What was it when you, since you're raised in the church and you talk about your first memory being Mary, the mother of Jesus. My, my first memory is the opposite. I was like Jezebel. (laughs) So we, I was raised in the church, but didn't really, I got, I wandered from the church, if you will. Um, but but I want to know, you know, you, 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 you talk about having the, these moments of doubt, um, and it's lonely 
And I, I actually think it's not as lonely as we think because a lot of other people are having the same thing. They're just not being transparent about it. Um, right. Tell me about when you re- when you realize, listen, I am actually struggling with my faith here. Can you tell me a moment like that? Yeah, well, it was subtle for me. I think some people can have tragedy strike. There can be some catalyst that throws you into a position of unbelief or where you're really beginning to question a diagnosis, you know, a fractured relationship, all the things, financial loss, all the things that are big that happen that cause you to waver in your faith. For me, it was more subtle than that. It was mm-hmm. it was life. Um, I think it was a slow evolution of, well, and I say it, I describe it this way in the book, I was a fraud the frog in a pot of lukewarm water that slowly, slowly um, turned to boiling. And so it was um, me slowly taking my eyes off of Jesus. And so when I say, you know, when you ask, did I know it? No, it was much too subtle in my life to recognize what was going on mm. until I was neck deep in it. And so then as I began to acknowledge where I was in these questions about God and are you even real and who are you, and why should I believe? It was, um, it, I, I didn't really know what to do with it. I struggled for a long time with a lot of guilt and condemnation, right? Well, what does Scripture tell us about guilt and condemnation? That's not from the Lord. That's right. from um, Satan, right? And so for me, for, for this girl who grew up in the church who identified that way, for me it was a matter of, I, I think it was very much a spiritual battle. It happens between our ears. It happens in our heads that 18-inch disconnect between head and heart. I could have told you all the answers. I presented as a believer. I was still in church, still in Bible study, still praying, still doing all the things, and yet here I was. And so I think um, what I ultimately found out, what I ultimately realized is God was actually at work in that time, right? Mm. I didn't see it. I didn't understand it. I, I wouldn't have believed it if you told me. This is the, the kind of thing when you're on the other side of, of that really serious spiritual desert. You have the benefit of rear view. Um, you can see it in the rear view mirror. And then you begin to understand what was going on. You can't tell when you're in season, I don't think. Mm. I mean, we're having this conversation now. If someone, you know, if their heart is beating fast, if, if they sense like, yeah, this is where I am. It's okay not to understand where you are right now. You just need to give yourself a little grace to recognize that God can even work in the midst of all that junk. Mm. So, so you're in church praying, um, leading Bible studies and stuff like that, but there, and I think, I think, you know, the whole reason why I wanted to do this book is because I feel like this is where a lot of people are. Um, how did you find yourself um, and sort of wake up to the fact that you were, even though you were in church, you were wandering away from faith. What was that like? And how did you climb yourself uh, back into a thriving relationship with the Lord? Because I feel like a lot of people will hear uh, the title of this book and say, oh yeah, me too. I'm there. I get it. I get it. Um, I know what the problem is, but how do I, what do I do? What do I do? How do I find that fire again? Well, I think there are a couple of things that you do. One, find someone that you can talk to. Um, I didn't feel like I could share this with anyone because I felt like I would be judged. In the context of church, I had been hurt before. Some of my doubt was a result of the ways I was hurt within the context of church and believers and 
you know, we're all broken people. None of us are perfect people. And so why do we expect so much more out of each other than is um, reasonable? But I would really encourage um, anyone who's listening who is right there in the pit to reach out to someone they trust, someone that you know will point you to Jesus because they are going to remind you of truth. It's, this needs to be. And, and I'm thinking there, there are people right now listening who, who that they're the people who someone might reach out to. And you don't have to fix a person's face. You know, that is not our job. God, that is God's job. That is the work yeah. of the Holy Spirit. We don't have that responsibility. And it is so liberating to recognize that if um, a kid of ours or our spouse or someone we love is the wanderer, we don't mm-hmm. have to. We don't have to do anything but love them, pray for them, and point them to Jesus. And and what is so important is to recognize the truths that are undeniable. And and for the believer, you know, we do find our, our truth in Scripture. And there's so many things that we can read that we have to just accept as truth. Mm-hmm. One is that God is praying for us. When we are in this position, Jesus is interceding for us. And so for me to be able to see that... Toward the end, when when um, I was beginning actually to hear, when my my, my whole frame of reference um, changed, I recognized that Jesus Himself was praying for me. That He there was this expectation we see in Scripture that we return to our faith. And I think about the story um, I think it's in Luke when Jesus is talking to Peter and He's telling him Satan's asked to sift his faith, and He's He's letting Peter know that. He's going to fail him. He's going to reject him yeah. in some way. And, you know, Peter can't imagine that I'm going to do that. If someone had told me, you know, 15 years ago that this would be me, I, would have, I wouldn't have believed it. But Jesus gives him the hope that when you're restored, encourage your brothers, brother. strengthen your brothers. And so where you are, if you're in the middle of this, this really dark place, it's not a wasted space. It is a refining time. It's not going to feel good. It's not going to feel like that's what it is. But because God can work in the wandering, when you're on the other side of it, you're going to be the person who gets to go back and encourage another. So it's not wasted. It gives you the ability to see a really hard thing through the eyes of experience. So it's, you know, for me, I see it as really a good thing. I get to see the redemption of that really years-long battle of my own. I get to encourage other people now. And so only God, right? You know, he... He's doing that work. It's amazing. Um, so you talk about doubt a lot in the book, and um, mm-hmm. uh, I, I want I want to hear. I feel like people these days they need something to sink into, and um, I think uh, in the notes that my producer was going over with me this morning, uh, there was a study done, and there was something like two thirds believers struggle with doubt. I actually think that's kind of low. <laughs> I feel like I know, I wonder. 99.999, uh, except for Jesus, struggle with doubt at one point or another. Um, but uh, talk to me about doubt. I don't feel like this is something that um, is new. Um, but to the to the believer right now that um, that you are struggling with doubt. You're, you're struggling with, I, I doubt God will. I just wrote a book in July called gangster prayer that was released. And, and I think that this is one of the main things that we struggle with in our prayer life. Our prayer is, is our prayer life is built on a foundation of doubt. I doubt God will rather than I believe that he wants to. 
Um, and I and this this whole doubt thing is messing with us. So so you do talk about this doubt. Uh, what do we do with it? How do we um, fortify our faith in seasons of doubt? Give me give me something that we can sink our teeth into. Well, I think the the strongest piece of counsel I would offer is that um, it is so helpful to reframe how you how you view your own doubt. What if I think the tendency, or at least my tendency during that season, was to question whether or not I had ever been saved? If I mm. could actually be a person who doubts at this level, does that invalidate my salvation? Does mm. it mean I was never saved? And you know what? This is the conclusion I came to: that a person who is saved is not, or who is not saved, is not going to wrestle with that. They aren't going to care. Mm. To me, I learned that. That was an evidence of my salvation. For me to care about the state of my heart, the state of my soul, was evidence that I was. So that let's put that to rest right away. If you're asking those questions, when you feel like it is invalidating your salvation card or whatever, why not look at that as an evidence mm, of your faith? That's good. Right? Yeah. And so another, another piece of counsel is that what if we also reframe our doubt to see it as a bridge toward God, not as a divide separating us. That's great. When we free, when we reframe the way we're looking at that doubt as a bridge, it, that leads you to hope. That leads you to be able to see this Jesus we read about in the Bible, who tells us he is a God of hope. But if you see it as a divide, you're going to see the opposite. So reframe the way you see your doubt. It's actually healthy. And Autumn... I have to confess, I don't have this figured out. I still struggle in the tension of, Lord, I believe, help mm. my unbelief, but God knows it, and that is what God is using in my life to draw me closer, mm. right? It's not pushing me away. It's not sending me in the other direction. That is the tension that brings me toward Him. And I think once we have permission to see it that way, or once we even have the idea that that's a possibility, it, it can change things just mm. Um, reframing your perspective about how you view your own doubt will well, <clears throat> can be revolutionary in a life. That's powerful because I think a lot of times we doubt and we think, oh, man, I'm not a good Christian or, oh, man, mm-hmm. you know, uh, whatever. I love, I love what you said about it being a bridge to God, not a separator uh, between you and God, because I think Satan will use the latter. And the latter, the latter makes more sense in our minds. Oh, yeah. Well, if I doubt, well, then, you know, um, I'm a bad person or whatever. I think Satan feasts on on really the difference between the two. And and his lies are so believable. We believe Aren't them. They? Yes. Yes. Well, and they, he knows enough about us. And, and, and there's, you know, his lies are their origin is truth. So that makes him credible to us, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm, and so he's good at what he does. You know, he's had forever to think about it and figure it out, and he's got our number, and we give in to him. But what if, okay, so if we say, if we believe that our enemy is always and only against us, doesn't it make sense that he is going to he is gonna hit every weak point um, of our unbelief and make it believable to us? And, and I think, you know, we, don't we speak more harshly to ourselves than we would ever speak to another soul. We are yes. not kind to ourselves. We we feed into our own doubt with, with all the things we know about ourselves. We know we're prone to sin. We know those besetting sins about ourselves. And so 
we believe it. We believe the lies of an enemy because they're credible. I love this quote. uh, I love this quote that you have in chapter 14. It's at the beginning of the chapter. We should be afraid. We should be unafraid to doubt. There is no believing without some doubting. That's from uh, Justin Holcomb interview with Barnabas Piper. Um, That's a really good quote right there. Yeah, well, it's, it, you know, and doesn't it help to hear that, you know, as you and I are talking, I'm so thrilled that you invited me into to this place for your listeners' sake and that they're going to hear us talk about it. We are, we, are, we are bringing our doubt into light, and I think once you do that, once you name it, once you claim it, really, it diffuses its strength mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When, when we aren't afraid to talk about it. And so I... I don't want to be afraid to talk about it. I'm not ashamed. I see what God can do in the life of the doubter. I can see how he can use it for the doubter's good and for his glory. Yeah. And so um, Satan doesn't want any part of that. So I love this question, which actually your publisher gave us, and I, and I really would love to hear uh, how you answer it. What is the difference between wandering and being lost? Um, because <laughs> you talk about there being a difference. Let's talk about that. Yeah, well, and I, I, that's, there's a couple of fun stories in the book about that, so I always um, smile when I think back on it. Um, when I was a kid, I got lost at the fair. You know, I was with my family. I get lost from them. You're separated for a few seconds, and horror. That's that horrifying. And <laughs> yes, because you're around all these people, and your brain, little tiny brain, goes to the worst possible scenario. Do I have to live with someone else? Am I going to be lost forever? And, and the reality was, this was a few seconds of my life that mm. felt like eternity. Mm. You know, can't you imagine a little girl at night in the dark at the fair, all the loud noises, all the bright lights, all the people, and she lose the sight of her daddy. And, so, and then within seconds, there he was. There, my whole family was right there. I was never actually lost. Daddy knew where I was the whole time. You know, mm. he had his eyes on me. I just had lost sight of him. So the reality was I wasn't lost, but it sure did feel like it. Um, I tell an opposite story that happened not so long ago where I was using my GPS on the back roads of South Carolina trying to get home after dark, and I wasn't paying attention. And before I knew it, my GPS had lost range. I was out of range, and I had no idea idea where I was. I was mm-hmm. in farm country. There were no beacons of light, and it was horrifying for me. And the thing is, I had gone like that 10 or 15 minutes before I knew I was lost. I kept waiting on that turn, you know, the signal to turn, and it never mm. came. And when I looked down, I was in trouble. So in that case, I had been lost for a while, but I didn't know it. And so, you know, I, I, I tell those stories because when you are wandering, you're going to feel lost. You're going to feel like either you aren't saved, you aren't going to know how to find God. It's very dark. You cannot see the light. But the reality is that it doesn't negate your salvation. God still has his hand on you where you are and these questions and doubts aren't a surprise to God. Yeah. Right? There is no surprise to Him. And in fact, He can actually use that in your life to build your faith ultimately. And so the feelings are real. You know, God gives us emotions and feelings for a reason. So they aren't, I think they're neutral. They aren't bad, but we can always believe those feelings. And it feels like, it feels awful. It, it, it does not feel good when you, when you feel so lost and alone or like you're the only one. But that is not your reality. You mm. feel it.
I, lo- I love this. This is I like I like that you shared the two stories. Uh, the other day we were leaving. Um, I can't remember where we were leaving. We go. We we I have four kids, so we're everywhere all the time. But <laughs> you're on the go. We were we were leaving somewhere. My four year old daughter um had to put her shoes on, and um so she oh that's where we were. We were at our house. <laughs> we had and we were like go put your shoes on because we're leaving to go somewhere, and she freaks out. And she's like, don't leave me, mom. Don't leave me. And I'm looking at her like, first of all, have I ever left you? And second of all, mentally, she didn't know that that just in my head, I would absolutely never leave her anywhere. Um, and I think sometimes uh, we need to understand that that's that's how, you know, we're not better parents than than God is for us. And we're not a, we're not a, a greater mother or father than than God is to us. And sometimes we need to understand exactly what you said, you know, when you, when you got lost at the, at the carnival or whatever it was, the fair, wherever it was, your dad still had yeah. his eyes on you. And, right. um, you know, he wasn't going to get you to let, allow you to get too far out of, um, his sight. Um, listen, right. this is a great book, uh, for all who wonder, there is a study guide, there is a, a book and a study guide. Uh, the name of my guest today was Robin Dance. I love your last name. Are you a good dancer, Robin? Just wondering. I am, but uh, <laughs> it's a tragedy of my marriage. My husband does not deserve the name. He doesn't like to dance. So, um, this girlfriend, listen, I dance in my kitchen. I dance anywhere. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. We're going to twirl. Very we'll good. Twirl. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, Robin. I really appreciate it and for sharing your book for all who wonder with us. And thank you for listening. Uh, You can catch me right back here tomorrow on The Autumn Miles Show. The Autumn Miles Show is listener supported and your donation to keep her on the air is much appreciated. To make a donation, visit autumnmiles.com. And if you make a donation of $100 or more, you'll receive an autographed copy of her book of the month. This program is underwritten by Mary Maids of Fort Worth. Your future starts now. Thanks for listening and join us next time for the Autumn Miles Show on the Word 100.7 FM.